welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast, a podcast for farmers and ranchers ready to shift for a stronger future. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful are not. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, you'll hear how producers of all sizes and practices are moving mountains for things they believe in, all in the name of an industry that keeps growing and innovating for a stronger food system and stronger farm families. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to discuss where producers are finding success, challenging the status quo, striving for better, and keeping our heritage alive, all while producing the food we depend on. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. Today I have Caitlin Niemeyer Burks here with me. And I'm excited because we're going to talk about farm finance, one of my absolute favorites to talk about um, because it impacts me deeply <laughs> as a first generation turned sixth generation farmer. Caitlin is based in Missouri. Um, and you are the head of ag lending for First State Community Bank and also a fourth generation farmer and involved on your family operation. So fill in some of the blanks there. Tell us how you got to be doing what you're doing and what's going on with you lately. Um, yeah, so I accidentally kind of fell into banking. I don't think anybody goes to college saying I'm going to go into banking or become a loan officer. So I really just fell into it um, accidentally. I did an internship with uh, FCS Financial or Farm Credit my junior year of college because I had to fill a credit and I ended up really liking it. And I remember going to my dad and telling him like, I don't want to do the manual labor of the farming every day. That's just, I can do it. I just don't want to. I want to do something different. But how can I help farmers, but without being on the farm 24-7? And he just referred back to our banker and he said, if it wasn't for our banker, we wouldn't be where we're at or wouldn't have had the resources um, to grow our operation like we have. So I said, okay. So I started looking into some banking jobs and started off at a small bank after I graduated. Um, I went back to get my MBA later on while I was at that bank and just kind of learned agriculture from the financing side. I knew it from the boots on the ground and how farming worked, but farm financing was a whole other monster in itself that I just wanted to learn because I had such close ties to it. Um, started off as a junior ag lender and then moved to an ag loan specialist and now to my current job as the head of ag lending uh, for First State Community Bank. So just really grown with agriculture and with all the financing options. And that's really how I got started. And then TikTok came around and I don't know, I don't know why that took off like it did, but it did. And I'm so excited because I feel like it's really helping get some of that information out there that some people just have no idea about. Absolutely. I think TikTok, what I enjoy most about it is that it's one of the more candid social media platforms. And especially with finance, there's not a lot of just very candid information right. there, especially in agriculture. So right. I think it always draws people's eyes um, and ears if they're like, well, if somebody's going to talk about money in agriculture, I'm going to listen because right. yeah. there's not a lot of people out there that are do doing it. Yeah. And it's hard to get into it, especially if you don't come from agriculture. It's very hard to kind of shift yourself into that mentality of working with farmers and knowing how farming works. You know, it's not sunshine and rainbows every day. It's 
clouds and tornadoes today. And then a couple hours later, it's sunshine. You know, it's it's one of those things you just have to know. And that's what I always said. And in my job interviews, I sat at a kitchen table with a farmer for, you know, 20 some years at that point. I know when to call. I know when to talk. I know when not to talk. Like when the weather's on, you don't talk. You just, you be quiet. But and so that's really helped me. Um, you know, I didn't go to college for agriculture business. We didn't have an ag program, but I learned, you know, firsthand from my dad and from um, his partners in the farm and uncles and everybody, because we're, our family is very much an ag family. Um, every generation of us has stemmed off into some sort of agriculture some way. So very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. If you don't mind sharing um, a little bit more about the family farm and what your role looks like around that, since you, like you said, aren't necessarily out there doing the work every day, you took a little bit different path than that. Right. Uh, So we are a basically row crop cattle and hog operation in Northeast Missouri, Um, just a little north. Well, I say a little north, we're like two hours away from St. Louis, but we're north of St. Louis, um, right kind of near Hannibal. We farm a few counties um, and like I said, mostly row crop cattle and hogs, but we've really kind of grown the last couple of years uh, with myself getting married and then my brother, my little brother getting married. We've kind of figured out how to encompass our in-laws because we're the next ones that are starting to come up. You know, we have those new ideas and we're just a new generation either on the farm working or just having the new ideas that we see on social media or just on the the places that we go. We just see more things than I think are the generation before us has because they're very much can be stuck in their ways. So um, that's kind of how we've evolved in the last couple of years, but we continue to grow our operation and hopefully we all have a spot when we come back. Um, that is the ultimate goal is for my husband and I to return to the farm with my brother and my sister-in-law and their new baby. They just had their baby a couple weeks ago. Um, so we're excited to kind of bring everybody back and see how that works the next five, 10 years. <laughs> it's a lot um, to take on to make it work with a large family or that many families involved. So that's really exciting that you guys are finding ways to make that happen. Um, Like you said, this generation is going about things a little bit differently than maybe some generations before us have done it. And I think you said they're stuck in their ways. I think a lot of them are. A lot of them are just very tied to the farm as well. You know, they've been the ones there doing it day in, day out, and maybe didn't even have the opportunity to leave and see things. Um, So what are some of the other things that you've seen in working with lots of farmers as their banker now um, that's different from one generation to the next and how they approach and handle things? Uh, You won't believe it, but their marketing, how grain is marketed. Um, I'm seeing a trend in some of the older generation, it can get a little bit more tied to motion, I guess. Um, You know, they're looking at the dollar, but there could just be a little bit more. I could get a little bit more on my corn, on my beans, whatever it is. And then I have this generation where it's, I can get, I know what I'm getting. I'm going to lock it in because it's going to pay my bills and then give me a little fun money afterwards or a little bit to stuff my pockets with versus the other generation is very but I could get more. I could always get more. And sometimes you can, and that option's there, but sometimes you lose out by putting too much emotion into it. And even we see that in a lot of our, even on our farm some days, it's like, you just, 
just let let us figure out how to do it. Um, you know, we can kind of see past some of the mumbo jumbo that you've dealt with over the years and see the numbers, what they are, and you go on. So, <laughs> so you said that they can be a little bit more emotional. Do you think, is it the planning aspect that the younger generation likes better? Just that kind of like knowing what's ahead or? Yeah, I, is it I really do. Um, a lot of my younger farmers that I get in here, they have everything kind of sprawled out on a paper. They know exactly where they want to be in in the next year or two, three, four, five years. Um, not that the older generation hasn't done that, but I think they've maybe gotten away from that because they've been doing it for so long. They kind of know what to expect year after year or how to, I guess, be proactive and plan for those bad years versus our generation. We are in some of the worst years we've ever seen. Um, you know, well, I guess the generation before us probably went through the 80s or started in the 80s, like my dad. Um, and my cousin got started right in the 80s too, but they got started in the middle of it. They weren't right in the middle of it either, you know, trying to make things work. Um, not that that takes away from what happened in the 80s, but it's it's just a different time, um, especially with the way land prices are, rent prices, input prices, just a very different world than when my dad and his cousin got started. Some of those generational shifts, I think, is what makes it so hard for some folks to transition to the next generation. Um, when And I've loved some of the content that you've done on that specifically about how to actually prepare the next generation to take over and how to do that in a financially sound way so that they don't come in with absolutely nothing to their name. Right. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what some of those things are that you've been able to help people kind of put strategically in place so that that next generation, when they're coming to you for, you know, a first loan or a land purchase, they don't come in and say, well, I've never had a job. I've, I've always just worked for dad or that kind right. of thing. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing is having that conversation that you are being paid like an actual employee, whether that's W2, 1099, whatever it is, something that it shows up on a tax return, because if it's not on a tax return, doesn't exist to a bank. Um, you know, we have to have that record and show that that's what you're doing. Obviously with farming, we do know because we are an ag bank, we know how that works. We know that dad's paying you under the table or paying you to cash rent some farm somewhere else. Um, but if it doesn't exist on a tax return, it, it doesn't help our matters because we still have to meet policy requirements. Our board has to be happy. You know, we have to protect the bank as well as our customers. So that's the biggest thing I feel like I've pushed within the last maybe year and a half is getting W-2s and 1099s to some of these, I say kids, some of them are older than me or the same generation because um, we're seeing that a lot and just paying cash because it's easier for dad to do, but it's going to make it a whole lot harder for you to get anything financially. And I think a lot of us as farmers and ranchers think about you know, we don't need to pay you because we're providing for you mm -hmm. uh, or we're you're going to get it all when we're gone anyway. So, you know, what do right. you need? Um, but some of that kind of planning is starting to change and we're realizing there's a lot of benefits to thinking about how to transition some of that stuff before the gener right. generation that's previous is gone. Um, have you had to be, be involved in any of those things of like transferring of assets or when the next generation takes over what that figuring out what that looks like. I've had to kind of help some of our 
some of our younger customers transfer some of their assets because or from the generation because of a death in the family. Um, you know, a lot of the transferring and the generational transitions that happen take months, if not years, and everyone just kind of dragging their feet. And this was an instance that had to happen like yesterday. Um, and it's really trying to figure out where everybody's standing, um, especially if nobody knows really what dad had going on or mom and dad had going on together with aunt and uncle, whoever, it makes it a little bit harder, but having that communication early on that, you know, we have so many acres rented, this is who we're renting it to, this is how we pair inputs, being able to be transparent with, I guess, your next generation, whether that's your kids or just somebody that's worked on the farm with you forever, having that communication is such a help because then it helps them help me so I can help them too. Um, but really you need, you just need a good lawyer too, you know, or a good, um, attorney that can kind of walk you through that. And that's what we've within a bank. We have a lot of those resources and we, you know, we have a lot of customers of every walk of life. So being able to push them to good attorneys or lawyers or somebody that just knows more what they're doing to help them tax wise, banking wise, you know, I'm here for the financial, but I have to know how to help you. I can't just go out giving you money and throwing it at something, hoping it works. So yeah, it's definitely a wide reaching web when you get into oh, yeah. all of that stuff. I'm so glad you could join us today. You can support the mission of the Farming on Purpose podcast and be part of the tribe dedicated to building ag legacies at farmingonpurpose.com shop. You'll find apparel, office supplies, stickers, planners, and more, all inspired by the people living out ag legacies every day. Um, one of the things that you talk a lot about on TikTok is kind of how to, as a beginning farmer or a young farmer, really get the best financial opportunities available to you. Because like you said, it's a very challenging time that we're in right now. Land prices are absolutely obscene. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of capital required to get started. So FSA has been one of the kind of aces in your pocket that you've talked about. Did you work with them from the very beginning? What's your journey been like as you've started to partner up and help people get that financing more lately? Yeah. I mean, at my either first or second job, um, that was something that we really pushed a lot of our farmers to do. In the beginning, it was a lot of work to figure out how to make it work because you're working with a government, just like any other government entity. It can just kind of be a nightmare uh, if you don't know what you're doing and how to do it. But once you kind of learn the programs, you realize how beneficial it is. The FSA got such a bad rap in the 80s. It is what it is. We've all gotten over it. Um, but it's it's something that I've grown with in my career um, because I took it on and learned it because I knew my generation is next up. Um, you know, my generation isn't qualifying for traditional financing, at least not as of today. No one's going out borrowing $500,000 to buy ground or for a line of credit, eight, 9%. It's just not going to work, especially if you don't have anything backing you or your balance sheet is very poor, which is a lot of what I see in my generation because we've worked for dad for so long. Dad has a balance sheet, which is great, but you don't have it and you're the one that's wanting to get started or taking some of that ownership. It just makes it hard. But with the FSA, you are able to get started somewhere when you don't necessarily have that 
that big balance sheet or, you know, the good tax returns, you just showing that little bit of cash coming in. And sometimes you don't have to have any tax returns going through the FSA if you are young enough, but can still qualify for a young meeting farmer program. Obviously, that's something you have to discuss going through the application process if you don't have tax returns, but it's an option too. So that's where FSA has really been more beneficial because me as a bank, I have to have those or everybody gets just a little weary about it. FSA, they'll do and work with you as much as they possibly can. So you can gather those financials, start putting them in correctly, and then having them year after year. I think a lot of people, like you said, shied away from FSA after the things that happened in the past right? Um, with them. And nowadays, a lot more people, especially who are getting into farming for the first time, maybe they didn't grow up on a family farm, are finding those opportunities that FSA has available. But a lot of folks are still wary of the paperwork and the time and the whole process that goes into it. Um, can you give just some quick maybe tips that you would say if if someone is thinks that they might qualify for FSA, um, what are some of the things that they can do right out of the gate to try to make sure that they have a successful process? Uh, my biggest thing is just communicate with everybody, whether it's the FSA officer, um, your loan officer. I do tell a lot of people just you know, find yourself a good loan officer first because they're going to be the ones to help you as long as they know FSA lending and how the FSA works, they're going to be the ones to help you move forward and continue the process on versus trying to work with the FSA by yourself while FSA officers are usually, they're normally working with the banks nine times out of 10 for the most part when it comes to the joint financing. So just involving everybody right away um, and then knowing that nothing in farming ever comes easy, especially when it comes to money. Um, you know, there is a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of information you need, but at the same time, look at the interest rates and the the turn that you can get. It takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of time, but it's worth it in the end. So having that communication right off the bat, knowing exactly for the most part what you want to do and how you want to do things and being able to gather as much information as possible so you're not wasting as much time with your banker or the FSA officer. Absolutely. I think a lot of folks that kind of walk into that process, if it's land or something that they've been planning to buy for a long time, like maybe they're buying out some family, it's a little bit easier because there's a lot of knowns. Right. When you're going in to try to buy land, like on an auction or something like that, it's very challenging to work within the FSA process. Is that something that you think will just kind of have to be the way it is? Or is that something that FSA is aware of or thinks that they might be able to work around anymore? They're very much aware of it um, because everybody that's always a complaint, no matter if I hear it, the FSA hears it, everybody hears it, but it's just the FSA works so much different than a traditional bank. You know, you can go to auction all day with me. It doesn't matter because I have all of your stuff where you're pre-qualified, you get to go. The FSA, they have to know exactly what you're buying, when you're buying it, for how much there is no gray area because they are working, you know, from Washington, D.C. Those are the people that are telling them what to do versus here. My boss is in Farmington. I can call him tomorrow and say, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it to be okay. And we're done. You know, the FSA is just a line of people. And 
it just makes it harder. And especially in today's world, that's all you see is options. You don't really see a lot of for sale by owners or just by a realtor. It's all going to auction, just makes it so much harder to get done. When you first started working with FSA more, what were some of the things that surprised you um, about how different the process was? How tedious um, they can be with some of the information that's needed, whether that's farming income, your projections, and how in line they have to be, which every year is different. So it's kind of hard to, you want to project the best, but you don't want to project too much because you look too good. If you don't project enough, then you just look like you're farming just because it's fun. Um, so it's very tedious information and knowing and every office is different. Um, every officer does things a little bit different. So you kind of have, you've learned over time who is the easiest to work with, how they want things versus who's a little bit harder and how you need to kind of manipulate what you're sending out, not manipulate it, but just course it to how they're approving style is either more detail, less detail, or just let them have the ball in their court. The challenging part there, I think you hit the nail on the head with every office is different. My husband and I have gone through the FSA process twice now in two different counties, and it was shockingly different both times. Um, And there's really just no way to prepare for that unless you have a banker like you who's worked with a lot of different like offices in different counties. You just kind of have to go in blind. And like you said, kind of try to over communicate what's going on. Right. Yeah. It's better to be to overshare than it is to undershare because I don't want anything left out. I need as much as I possibly can to make it make sense despite what office it is. Which is just never typically what a farmer wants to do, no. ever. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And that was even hard for me because that's how my dad is too. You only talk about what you need to talk about and that's it. Um, in banking, that's not how it is. You know, I have to, I've learned over the years, I've been in banking for seven, eight years and I've learned that I just have to ask more questions. It was never raised like that. Whatever they say, that's what they say. They mean it and they went on. That's it. So you don't ask any questions, but in banking, I've learned, I just have to ask the hard questions because it makes it so much easier on the end of it. So, yeah. You've mentioned like having the W-2 or the 1099 um, to show your income and what you've been doing leading up to trying to qualify for things as farmers um, is important. Are there any other red flags that you commonly see of like, oh my gosh, what did I just walk into? Um, Over inflating balance sheets, um, just to kind of either make yourself feel better about what the balance sheet's looking like, or if some of it's really dad's, but you're, you've been using it or you pay dad to use it. Um, especially if you're farming on your own. I ran into that a lot when we just needed some extra collateral, whether it's like equipment loan or whatever. And then it turns out it's not really theirs on their balance sheet. It's dad's, but it's been in your shed for so long. You just assume it's yours, you know, and we ran into that, just the technicalities of it, but really knowing what your balance sheet is, what it looks like and what your cash flow looks like. Um, If I have somebody come and sit at my desk and I ask them, is this going to cash flow? 
They look at me and say, I don't know, that's your job. Well, it is my job to make sure it cash flows for the bank. It's your job to know, to come to me and say, yep, these numbers work for me and my farm. Because I only know so much about your farm. I mean, all the prices and the marketing prices I use, they come from the FSA or they come from the extension. Because, yeah, I want to give everybody, you know, the highest dollar possible on their corn and beans, but that's not realistic or conservative as much as you would do it for. If you've marketed, tell me you've marketed it at $8. If you haven't, tell me you haven't done anything. And then I can kind of plug in the missing pieces after that. But knowing your cash flow is very important and knowing your numbers. Um, my dad always says if it works on paper, it works in real life. So <laughs> then that that makes it make sense. But you have to know what you're doing before you come to me because I can't sort it out for you if I don't know how you farm. Mm-hmm. That was one of the most difficult things for us going through the process, I think, is we are very conservative when it comes to our financial numbers. And I'm guessing that like our FSA offices, we're used to seeing overinflated balance sheets. And mm-hmm. so they were very wary to work with us at first. And then we were like, well, we actually have a lot more than that. We just didn't put it on there. Right. <laughs> Stuff like that, because we didn't want... You know, I think there's a lot of concerns about what is collateral, what could be collected right. if something were to fail um, and how that all works. There's just not a lot of understanding, I think, in how those actual contracts work. Do you see that a lot on your end? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much. That is usually a concern just about every FSA loan that I do, that there's something missing or it's just that lack of connection as to how... FSA is going to help a farm, but not want to collect on them at the end of the day too. Mm-hmm. Where are there any places that you send folks to like learn more about how that works or to understand it better? Do you just talk to them about it or how does that usually go? I really just talk to them about it because how the FSA is going to do it is very different than what the entire picture looks like. You know, FSA is only going to give up to 50% of a loan. Well, then they want to know where the other 50% comes from. So I usually, I people I send people to the FSA site just at least to get some information about exactly what FSA is going to require. But at the same time, I like to just talk to people about it because it makes it easier when you can kind of let it sink in for a little bit and then ask whatever questions now so you can take that back and then figure out your own cash flow based on what, how the loan structure is going to look at the end of the day. Gotcha. One thing that I think is interesting about your job, you may think it's interesting or absolutely hate it, but uh, <laughs> it's it's how uh, farmers, I think, a lot of times perceive bankers. Um, there's always this like understanding that banking is required in farming. Like most of us right. could not do what we do without a relationship with a bank. But at the same time, it's like this love-hate relationship of, I know I need you, but also I want more control in my pocket because I'm a farmer. Right. All right. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. And that's how my like generation before us, my dad's generation, that's exactly how they are. You know, you never want to talk to a banker. Bankers are like a skunk. You just keep them as far away as possible. And I think the new generation is really starting to figure that out because in today's world, you can't get anywhere without banking or unless you, you know, just kind of fell into it. You have the family farm and things are given to you and that's great. But 
this generation is working with bankers versus like my dad. My dad still works with his banker. He just makes his life a little bit harder <laughs> than a lot of, you know, my customers do. And I've developed, you know, actual relationships with my customers because it is farming. It's such a small world at the end of the day that, you know, all my customers are friends or family to me at some point in time, even customers from previous banks. We still talk and we still have that relationship because you're in farming. And I feel like everybody's the same in the agriculture community. You know, if you're, they're good people, they're honest people and they want to help everybody. And I think that's, that's just agriculture in general. So being able to have those relationships matters so much more than if I do a loan or if I don't do loan. You know, if, if you guys were to come to me wanting your loan and it just, it didn't make sense either for me to do it or how you guys were wanting to do it, I would more, I would rather send you guys somewhere where you knew you could get it done. It was going to work out exactly how you wanted it. Then just say, nope, I'm going to put you in this loan so I can, you know, mark it down off my sheet. That's, you know, growth for me this year. Um, I'd rather just do one loan my entire life, but knowing that I've helped people succeed in their farming operations, because that's all I care about at the end of the day, um, is helping people achieve more than just marking a box on my end. That's very good to hear from a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you can even hear that from traditional bankers. Um, not that traditional bankers are bad or commercial bankers, because I was in commercial lending too, but when you work within the industries, you just kind of, you have to know how to work within your industry. Commercially, you just have to be very point blank and it's all business. Our culture, you know, I know everything about my customers, their families, their kids, down to their pet dogs' names and what goes on in their lives. It's just, it's totally different. So if you don't come from it, it's so hard to be in this kind of role or any real ag role if you just want to do business and go home at night. That's Mm -hmm. not how it works. (laughs) Yeah. One of the other things that I think that one of the big reasons you've had a lot of success on TikTok and that we all need to be focusing on more in our current generation is financial literacy, because you've seen the situations where the next generation never has seen the books. It's being presented to them for their very first time, like at a, the reading of a will or when they're getting ready to, you know, dad says, okay, I'm done. Time for you to buy me out. And they're like, oh, what's going on now? Right. (laughs) Um, How do we approach that as this generation of folks that are trying to either take over operations or just figure out how to expand when we, a lot of us have had never had that experience and don't know where to turn for information that's applicable. You know, Dave Ramsey isn't necessarily going to work for our situation. Uh, I mean, it is one of the hardest things um, because I am currently living it. You know, we have a large family farm and everybody just kind of looks at each other with our hands up and says, what do we do? You know, if this happens, we can do this. But if this happens, we can go this route. Yeah, but how do we get there? How do we, what is our final, you know, executed plan to make this make sense? Because if that were to happen, if my, either my parents or, you know, our cousin were to pass tomorrow, I don't know what we do. You know, it's, we've had the conversations, they get hard because the generation before us has such control over their farm and rightfully so they've grown the farm to what it is today whether that's good or bad they've had every 
every hand and every bucket that's happened on that farm versus we're just coming in, you know, 20 years later, wanting to have a part in it. It's hard, but I think being able to have those conversations and at least having an idea, obviously you can make a well-executed plan. It could all go wrong overnight. You know, if the wrong person passes away at the wrong time and you just don't know what to do. But I think knowing that you want your son, daughter, in-laws, whatever to come back and finding that place for them, whether that's in the marketing, in the social media, in the finances, or just manual labor, as long as everybody kind of has a niche spot, you can make it make sense at the end of the, if you really had to. If you know somebody passes, you just have to put somebody in a role, but it's also taking the time to teach them how to do those roles if they needed to. Yeah, going back to that communication, um, like you said, they need to understand their role. So many things that I've learned since we um, bought the farm that we are at now. It's It's been in my husband's family for a long time, but there was a lot about it that we didn't know coming into it. And it's never like a simple story, I feel like, of how things unfold. Right. It's always like, well, we buy seed from this person because of this and we pay for it by doing this. And it's like, oh my gosh, if you didn't have somebody around to tell you the history right. behind those decisions, it would be very easy to make decisions that you have no basis for. Greatly. <laughs> right. And I've seen that a lot in generation before us. They're very loyal to people, to brands, you know, John Deere and Case, for example. We were all Case for my entire childhood. And then just a couple of years ago, we switched all the way to John Deere. And it's like, what just happened? You know, my dad was dead set, like, I am Case till this farm goes under. That's all we're going to be. And then, you know, he started to slowly see that, okay, if we want to grow in all these different ways, maybe we need to look at, you know, upgrading some of our equipment or doing something different. Hence why we switched all to John Deere. And that was the biggest thing, I think, for our family farm, knowing that we're we're going places, you know, we're, we're really making that uh, transition into more, I don't want to say modern thinking, but, you know, growing with the time, so to speak. And that was such a big deal for my dad to do that even to this day, I'm still wake up. I'm like, are we sure we just did that? Like, are we sure we just made a total, you know, 180? Because you don't see that very often. You just kind of get pieces of everything, but never just a complete 180. Um, and so a lot of the research I've seen, like I said, they're very loyal to brands and to people. Our generation is more, what's going to help give me the best bang for my buck at the end of the day? Obviously keeping it in the family or in however the generation before us was doing, how is that going to make sense? But I still need to save money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The equipment aspect you brought up just now is very interesting. And I didn't know that about you guys, but I think it's something that more folks should be thinking about because we think a lot about, you know, how the land is going to transition to the next generation. I think we think less about the equipment and what kind of value is going to be available to the folks, the next operator who's going to run that equipment. Or if, you know, if you're right. having to sell your farm out and you have equipment that's completely outdated, um, it's it's not worth very much at that point. And it's figuring out like right. the schedule for when to up those assets or trade some of that stuff off is can really make a big difference 
at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. And having that financial resources around you, especially like an accountant or a tax preparer that kind of knows when to do things and how to do it. So one, you're not paying so much taxes on just old equipment or you just have somebody there telling you, okay, I think it's time that we upgrade or we sell or we just reposition how we're doing things. It's having more than just being a farmer. I mean, farming is a business. You have to have good lawyers, good accountants, good secretaries, and a good banker to make it all run smoothly. Yeah, for sure. I think some folks see that jump as a lot bigger jump than it needs to be. Oh, yeah. When they are, you know, maybe going from just a small family farm where they rely only on people in the family to make the right round to the point where you do have other people in your corner, whether it's an attorney or um, like a specialist or an accountant or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to folks who are kind of figuring out if they can make that jump or not? If you don't know what you're doing, find somebody that does um, because that matters a lot. And I, I really think you can find all of that within in your banker because um, your banker is going to know you have no idea how your your taxes are looking. You can't tell me kind of what you've been doing last year, how much you're supposed to pay. You're not paying. Bankers see a lot of those things if they're good agriculture bankers. They, there's a game to always be played when it comes to farming, but it's knowing how to properly play it and having all those people in the right spot. Um, I have a lot of people that I just tell them, you just need to go find a good accountant. They don't have to be on your payroll. You don't have to work for them, but they don't have to work for you, but just go find a good accountant to always do your taxes. So one, they're done right. Two, they're done on time. And three, you have somebody that you trust to answer those hard questions for you when it comes to your operation. So banking is just all the way around. I feel like we see everything in depth more than people think we do just because we're collecting textures and balance sheets we can see where you're lacking in whatever areas Hmm. it's interesting to think about it that way you probably look at those documents very differently than the people who are you know putting all of their information on them what are some of the things that you really watch for or look at to see a farm's story on those Definitely your Schedule F, um, especially when it comes to the grain side of it. If you're carrying over grain or if you're holding grain, having that conversation, you know, if I see a big loss on one year, but then I don't really see a lot of grain on the balance sheet that you're, if you're still holding it, I got to know what happened that year. Why did you lose out? Either was it a marketing mistake, inputs were higher. And in the last couple of years, that's been the story, just inputs and cash rent and everything just going up tremendously that that's been the story, but it's always green always has a little bit to do with it and where you're putting it, how you're marketing it. And if you're storing it or holding it each year, because I mean, that's a very common practice is to hold your grain every other year or just every year if you wanted to, but I have to be able to see it on your tax returns that it's not there, but then look at your balance sheet and see that it is there. So if I don't, if they are not matching, I'm getting a little weary about what is what you're doing and what's actually out there. And then that's where farm visits come into play. Um, not because I like being out of the office, but because I like to know what's going on all the time. Because if you don't help me, I can't help you. You know, that's again, communication is so big, especially in banking and in agriculture. If you don't communicate with me, I can't do anything for you. You just have to be open with me. 
That makes a lot of sense, especially when you say that the grain has a lot to do with it because it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've asked you a lot of questions. Um, I like to, you know, kind of focus on the things that I think about, but I only know so many things to ask when it comes to the financial side of things. What are some of the things that you have run into commonly or that you think more people should be thinking about? Definitely keeping and forgetting and keeping your ducks in a row at all times, um, because you never know what the things that are going to come up, whether that's good or bad. If, you're, if you have your family on the farm and then there's a parcel that comes right to you, well, do you know, can you afford it right now? Is that something you could do? Could you put in an offer? Not necessarily without talking to the bank, but you know that I can do 6,000 an acre right now. I need to just go talk to the bank and figure that out. Or if something bad happens, your equipment blows up. You're an artist. What are you going to do then? What is, what's your next step? Always kind of preparing for the worst. I'm hoping for the best, obviously. I feel like that's arming um, in a nutshell, but well, just having your operation down to a T and just knowing what you can do when you can do it. That's a, the biggest thing and being comfortable with your numbers enough to just when you're going to buy seat, what you can do this year or what's going to make more sense. So again, just kind of knowing what you're doing and keeping everything kind of under, not under a lock and key, but you know, yep, this is what I can do. I know for sure. I'm very confident in myself and in my numbers to take it to a bank because it makes my life so much easier when people have everything laid out and they just, yep, I know this, what I can do. Here's how I prove that I can do it. Here's projections. Here's schedule F. Take it for whatever you need to plug in your numbers and give my approval. So (laughs) I think um, it's a pretty big stereotype. The farmer that pulls up to the accountant or the banker with a shoebox full of receipts or a glove compartment that's just overflowing with paper that they need to file. Um, If somebody hasn't been keeping their ducks in a row or organized, we're heading into winter. It's a perfect time for folks to maybe focus on that a little bit more. Where do you suggest they get started, especially if it's been a while since they worked on it. Um, definitely just jumping in, jumping into like QuickBooks or Excel, plugging everything you have in and, you know, updating your balance sheets, seeing what you've done this year and even comparing your balance sheets from previous years to see, you know, has your net worth gone up? Has it gone down? It's gone down. We really need to have a discussion about why it's gone down and what has been happening. Um, if it's gone up, great. You can just go buy more stuff if you really want to. But it's being able to keep things updated because that tells your story long term. Because usually FSA, they may request, or even myself may request two or three years of balance sheets. Well, if you've never had them, it's really hard to make up what you've done in two, three years ago when you can't remember how much you sold this year. Um, so that's just staying up to date on everything. Um, QuickBooks, Excel, you can go to Google and just get the most simplest templates and make it make sense. Or even, you know, call your bank. Your bank has some sort of cash flow that they use, um, whether it's internally or if it's just on chicken scratch, it's, they can give you a little bit of um, get some idea of how to get started if you have no idea what to do. That makes a lot of sense. I think one of the best things on our part that we ever did was separate our personal finances from the farm. 
um, which would, especially when we were first starting out, we never did. It was just like, oh, well, you know, we're funding the farm with our paychecks. So why right. have a separate account for that? Um, right. But as we've, as I'm the one who does our taxes a lot, uh, <laughs> have found out it, life gets so much easier if you keep it separated to keep track yeah. of all that stuff. Yeah. Um, the last question I have for you right now, um, before our very last question of what's got you fired up lately, is about di- diversification. So in farming, we hear about it all the time that it's the only way to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it helps a lot with cash flow. But what's your perspective on it as a banker? Is it something that everybody should be doing? What kinds of things should you be thinking about if you're thinking you need to diversify more? I think it's something everybody needs to do, whether that is, you know, row crop, cattle and hogs, or if you get more into the end business side of real estate, chemicals, sales, seed sales, whatever it is, having something that, you know, for sure is going to make income every year, that makes it a lot better. Because in farming, you don't know. It's every other year you're basically making money and you have to have something that is kind of your cash cow, like Dave Ramsey would say, every time. Um, I think that helps people a lot. You just have to think about things that work for your farm. You know, it can't, you can't go out and have your farm and then, oh, like an ice cream shop on the side. You know, those two don't go together. It's something that you need to get into that can also help your farm, like seed or chemicals. You can just buy it wholesale for yourself and then, you know, sell it to everybody else to a different price, just like everybody does. Something that works and blends with your farm for diversification makes sense. If you don't do that, you're just kind of putting money into all these buckets and hoping one will faster. That's one of the most challenging things, I think, when we think about ag is that financial sustainability factor. Mm -hmm. A lot of times is just out of our control and we're trying to leverage that risk with all of these other things that we're doing. So... (laughs) And right. big our generation gets to focus on, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Because we need all the money we can get now. So. <laughs> <laughs> now and always, right? Um, okay, well, last question then for this interview. What has you fired up lately? What have you been thinking about? What's important to you that you just think more people need to be having going through their brains? I mean, besides for myself, um, I mean, we're welcoming our first baby boy within like two months, but... Congratulations. Everybody else, thanks. Uh, for everybody else, it's just, we're in such a hard time right now, um, to say the least. Everything, even personally, uh, financially, agriculturally, everything is hard, but it's we're going to come out of it. And I feel like it's not going to be tomorrow. You know, interest rates aren't going to drop tomorrow. Land's not going to drop tomorrow. But I feel like we have such an opportunity here to grow our generation because it is kind of a flashback to the 80s. As much as I don't want to compare it, it is a flashback to that. And at least in my case, you know, my dad and my cousin got started in the 80s and they made, you know, lemonade out of lemons. You know, they they worked really hard to prove that we're going to make it one way or another. So I just feel like it's such an opportunity for that growth, whether it, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be so hard, but I think it's our generation's it's our eighties, you know, it's, it's figuring out how to make things work and to just work really hard because then you're going to know who wants it and who really doesn't. And that kind of weeds the, some people out of, out of it. And you just, 
you make it work. You make it make sense because you like it. And it's, it's not just a job it's a lifestyle. You know, once my dad's always said, once the dirt's in your blood, it never comes out. You just, it's there forever. You'll never do anything else. And I think this is an opportunity to really show who's wants to be in it for the right reasons. And because it's just a really cool industry to be in. So it is. Hopefully our generation makes it out without saying, well, back in 2023, yeah. <laughs> instead of what our parents and grandparents did of back right. in the 80s. Yeah. Hopefully we don't get that part. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we all will. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Caitlin. Um, if folks want to connect with you further, keep learning more from you, where can they find you? On TikTok is Moag Banker. All right. Perfect. We'll have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or join the conversation on social media. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss or know someone with a story to share? Apply to be a guest on the podcast at farmingonpurpose.com. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, on your favorite social media platforms for more content by searching for Farming on Purpose. And remember, if you look around your table and aren't inspired by the people there, it's time to find a new seat. <laughs>